0: Today's episode is brought to you by the Sounds and Cinema podcast and the Brew Bar. The Everything Sequel podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad! Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Planet of the Apes Edition. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me for this last Apes movie. Before we pitch sequels, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hello, Tom. Yes, it has been
1: rather boring, hasn't it? Ha <laughs> ha! I think the characters in this movie severely underestimate how dramatically interesting the interim period between this and the last movie's been. I'll say. <laughs> I mean, both John Huston as the lawgiver and Culp kind of skip over it. Uh, this is a time in which apes have taken over the world and there's been a nuclear winter. That yeah. seems, like, that seems it's... like interesting stuff to me. <laughs> and the characters make it seem like... Oh, ho, hum. Well, my theory is that you know, if I think the this, this, the the ape scriptures scriptures um are based on what they have footage of, that's what makes it in there. If they don't have any footage of it, it never happened.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. It, it couldn't possibly have happened. Yeah, because because we don't have we don't have enough money to to shoot it. Yeah, ourselves. And so, if we don't have found should f- footage from some previous ape movie, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that that will come up again, that uh, it, that um, limited availability of footage is a is a recurring theme with this movie. I'll say they blow up the same tree quite a few times,
0: like a dozen times. I love it so much. <laughs> I fucking love it.
1: You really do love this movie. I do, and I'm, and I, I'm still fascinated by that. <laughs> i
0: i get it like especially after talking through our last films it,
1: it starts making me think oh yeah but you know what what what's i i want to kind of you know i i want to sort of interrogate you um a little more about what was the name of that thing that they that kind of hairdryer that they put on armando's head what was it called oh, the, dang it uh the, the, the truthinator let's just call it the truthinator no, um, it's not the truthinator. It's the authenticator. That's what it is. the authenticator. Yeah. Oh yes, big difference. <laughs> um, yeah, I want to do that to you because I, I think, I think your perspective on this movie is the most valuable. And I've been a real Armando for these past few movies. So blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> apes 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 apes. apes. Um, I can't deny so been, you your rightful position. No, of I know the lover it's a, of this you know it's a big series in my life but still i'm i think you are onto some because I, I you know i'll say it i i think i often think of this movie as a kind of formality in the series i, th- I feel mm-hmm. like it's more of a more i watch it more as a button on the series than a movie in its own right and i think you've you've reversed that and you're watching it as a as a movie, with fresh eyes
0: or something like that, yeah, fresh right.
1: eyes, twenty twenty one eyes, <laughs> and it's it's actually it's made me reevaluate a movie that I'd always kind of um, dismissed, ignored. I think I might disappoint you in what I uh, what
0: I latch onto in this movie, but by all means, I'm. <laughs> Willing to you, talk can't, it. you can't. You <laughs> can't disappoint. This is Planet of the Apes, <laughs> Mike. You cannot disappoint know, me, no right? matter what you say. But I think I mentioned even in our ranking episode. Because when I said that this was my second favorite movie in the series, I had you, like, hands to your head. No, I just never heard anyone
1: articulate those words before. That is literally (laughs) it. But the more I think about it, the more I feel like I have neglected what is a a perfectly good
0: movie with with
1: some serious fringe problems. But they are fringe problems. But all these
0: movies have fringe problems. Well, I guess that's not exactly true. I don't
1: think I don't think as much I don't think uh, overall I'd say the thing that always put me off this movie was it feels slighter compared to the other movies.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: I'm starting to reevaluate even that because well, I to think to me it's
0: more straightforward in narrative. Right. Which and is not to be that's sniffed a bad at. Thing. Yeah. No,
1: it's definitely not to be sniffed at, especially in a series which has, you know, taken us forward and backwards and forward in time already. (laughs) Right. It's nice just to get a nice little bit of linear, you know, (laughs) Aristotelian unity storytelling in the middle of this. Well, and
0: it's funny because in terms of the time, because this movie starts in 2670 AD. Yes. And I didn't, I think I missed what the caregiver had said about, so back then in 1991 or whatever, you know, just after 1991. Uh, yeah, because
1: he's, no, you didn't miss it. <laughs> John Houston mumbles it into a scroll. Yeah, goes, exactly. And nuclear winter and yeah. apes took over. Bye. And I
0: missed that. And so, <laughs> and then the story starts in earnest with Caesar. And I thought, wait, what? Wait, what's happening? Caesar's I alive in 2670. What the fuck is going on? And it's I was a real so fake... confused, and I had to go back and watch it again. And yeah. I was like, okay, 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 okay.
1: <laughs> That's the first note I have that that it's a it's a you know it's a fake out that we we're starting where we began in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also an assertion that we're now definitely in an alternate timeline. Because there's been right. a sense of that before, but it's very clear that we're we're on a com- because we we start with Cornelius and Zira coming to the to 1972. That's where the store. That's where the recap begins.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So to me, that's the that's the clearest statement we've had so far of this timeline is not going to join up with itself. Right. We we we're. we're, we're although we still need to we still need to avoid the same problems that we faced in the future that will never happen yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> all right which to me you know, i mean it's a, it's a fascinating line that that many future filmmakers will also kind of plug i think true yeah jj abrams you know star wars <laughs> with the star stand wars up Kelvin and be timeline. recognized jj same same thing yeah. x men same thing sure Yeah, you're right. Alternate time, ta- sort of using time travel as a reboot mechanism I mean it's a convention of, now. It's a convention now, but yeah. this has gotta be this has gotta be the first. Right. Normally I'm hedging my bets on that because you know, someone will come to me and say, oh, 1921's whatever, Napoleon versus the Wolfman But <laughs> it's like <laughs> you know, but but with this one I feel like it's Solid ground. No, I'm, I'm has on done solid this before. ground. <laughs>
0: I'm building my house on top of granite. That's right. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about the 1973 sequel, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, again directed by J. Lee Thompson, which I also find interesting, juxtaposing this movie with the last movie, which he also directed. Right. And I think we mentioned uh, Guns of the Navarone, Cape Fear, Huckleberry Finn, a lot of Bronson movies. <laughs> And Firewalker. This movie yeah. had thirty-six uh, percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Tom, again, uh, we're we're taking. Did we slash budget?
1: This movie yes. goes.
0: No, this movie goes up by hundred thousand dollars. Last one was one point really? seven. This one's one point eight. I think it was all spent on the explosion of that one tree, though.
1: <laughs> well, it's an int- t- 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 It's interesting because. Uh, yeah, I, I assume that the budget has gone down. But the more I learn about the way these movies were made, the more I think is that it's all relative to how much ape makeup you have to do. Mm-hmm. So in the, well, God, in the last movie, they had a lot to do as well. But that's when you start. Yeah, but to it's see... more it has to do
0: more with uh, who's in close up. As opposed yes. to far away, like are they like because like in the last movie and this That's movie, true. so many and people they are just wearing masks
1: well. and yeah, they they they're dimming. <laughs> this, this is they... all in the daytime, and you've got to see everyone close up. You're right, yeah. but it's because I in the behind the Planet of the Apes, Frank Capra Jr. says it's not an issue of money; it's an issue of time.
0: The more mm-hmm. ape
1: makeup we have to do, the less time we have to do everything else, and right. the, and the more money we run out of quicker. Sure. And so, like that's, literally, it's just interesting. It's daylight. Just, it's not just about budget. It's basically, it's you know, it's about how many apes you have to render in in your movie, which is mm-hmm. why, again, escape is the perf, is the sweet spot. Yeah, right. In so many respects, but also economically, because you can have a smaller budget because you've only got three apes to yeah, to
0: do. you're allowed you 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 benefit from there's a frugality through story.
1: But J. Lee Thompson reported that. You know, he he had to go, his two techniques for hiding the the budget limitations were close-up and fast-cutting. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of think he should have come up with a third. <laughs> there's got to be a filmmaking technique that, that, that can at least suggest that there's more than three people attacking the ape village at a time. <laughs> right. right. There's got to be a way to sort of fudge that. <laughs> cinematically
0: well they didn't have the uh the computer capability to reproduce people
1: in a lord of the rings type way i would have taken scarecrows like on oh, the horizon right, if yeah. that's what it took right I'm, I'm fine with that i just think you know he he was kind of satisfied that he'd uh that he'd sort of hidden um some of the limitations, and I think. Well, maybe it's funny because, like, when they the at the end when death. they
0: are when they're shooting into the school bus, <laughs> you think, man, Say if, no the, more. if there were any people in there, that would look <laughs>
1: incredibly violent. <laughs> I, I say that that goes for every uh battle scene in this movie if there were people in there this would be one scary scene <laughs> but
0: i i forgive i forgive it for all of that because i understand the budget limitations and despite a 1.8 million dollar budget in the usa and the world it uh made 8.8 million yeah and spent two weeks at number one in the
1: box office that's right people were still you know people were still going ape shit, for want of a better term over <laughs> these movies well played sir it's only I mean, it's... this movie
0: is only a couple hundred thousand dollars off what uh, conquest had made and so they're still yeah. turning profits but by now I maybe the uh returns are diminishing enough that they'd already planned to go to television
1: well I, maybe we'll talk talk in in the next episode about you know the 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 post apes era and how okay. important that is but uh but this is <laughs> this is uh there was a slight slump but the popularity of these movies went right back on top very quickly for a yeah. very specific reason which all we'll right. talk about in the next episode all right so stay tuned i i mean turn <laughs> off and turn back on sorry but not yet not yet <laughs> <laughs> as i said this is
0: not radio can we yeah, right. Can we, can we please talk about, to me, John Houston as an orangutan is like an incredible get. It Am I is, crazy? a huge
1: star. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the, I mean, one of the biggest star names they've ever had. I guess they're able to have more stars in this movie because it's people who are not doing their real jobs. Cool. Right exactly <laughs> but John I guess I was is curious. a famous director yeah. not actor and John I was Landis is a will become a famous director director not actor. eventually right he's in this movie uh, as well. Paul Williams is a songwriter again not really an actor um, <laughs> right but uh, so uh, maybe that's the trick but uh, yeah I mean I know even at the time it was it was a huge deal. Now I assume, like, do you have enough background information
0: on the making of these movies? Like, was he a huge fan of them, or what brought no. him?
1: Mike, he could have done this in an afternoon, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. It's he's looking. First of all, basically, it's like he's doing a game show. He's looking directly into camera and reading. It's probably <laughs> an auto cue there, <laughs> right? But I just
0: I marvel at the fact that he it's clearly di- sat for hours to get
1: that makeup on. To yeah, do they, they got like it down a, to like a bare minimum amount of work. Yeah, I think they got it down to three to like ninety minutes. I think was the the quickest they could do it in by the no end. No kidding. Yeah, but it's still a day's work. And let's face it, most of that the the sequences in is uh, recaps of old footage from the movies. Oh yeah. It's a good as a good so this movie is is already very short and at least five minutes of it, conservatively, is old footage.
0: <laughs>
1: more sequel I, 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 more sequel it's, it's,
0: conventions.
1: Well right, I'm gonna say it's right in the in the um Little Boy Penis territory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which in honor of Paul Williams I have renamed Little Boy Enos. I got to tell you, out of context, the, 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 the verbiage... I know. The
0: verbiage we've come up with for... for, for, for
1: it's like... <laughs> and I... This, it's sequences Little Boy like Penis, this.
0: again, everyone, we're talking Superman 2.
1: It's sequences like this that make me want to think about this movie more as a sort of testimonial, a kind of wrapping up of the series mm-hmm. than a movie in its own right. Um. But you you've made me sort of shift that perspective, and I'm really glad you did. But there there is a sense in which you know you could watch this movie as just a way of um, just putting a button on everything that well, we've yeah. seen so far in the series, and the narrative works better in that sense. But it doesn't mean that what that it still doesn't work as a movie um as you know just a just an, an independent piece of storytelling but everything mm-hmm. about this movie is sort of saying that you should you shouldn't take it too seriously you shouldn't think of it as like one of the big hitters in the series but in that but don't you, get... you think that's more just a reflection of
0: the scope they're not able to bring to it due to money constraints
1: like the ideas behind it are there partially but i partially but i also think i mean they you know they knew this was going to be the last right. apes movie going into production and I, I i can definitely see that you know they're trying to they're trying to write a story that that um you know scenes that are mirror images of of plot lines from other sequels um they're basically trying to work they're working through all of the five movies in this movie mm-hmm. uh and trying to speak to to all of it i think that is very deliberate because they knew it was the final chapter as it says on the on the poster yeah the final chapter so it does have that kind of conclude conclusionary feel to it um but it's interesting that and i think what i you know i don't want to put words in your mouth but what interests me about it, coming at it with you know, seeing it through your eyes. Sorry, I sound like Roy Batty here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that this is this is one of the you know within this movie, in the parts that aren't simply homage, you have one of the strongest pieces of it original storytelling.
0: And that's what that's what
1: appeals to me the most. And you're right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. The, and it's the... hard to see that. It's hard to see the the ape village for the trees is what I'm saying. Okay.
0: Well, <laughs> I mean, you you asked me to talk about this movie and, and what appeals so much for me. Yeah. And that bit of storytelling to me is maybe the best storytelling in the entire series. Yeah. And why it raises this movie... Uh, up to number two for me, because that part of it is so good. Now, the only thing that they kind of like shoot themselves in the foot with is it's so amazing to me what this series does in terms of. When we when we go to escape from the planet of the apes and we have this yeah. narrative bit about Aldo said no. No. <laughs> and then in this movie they changed that to he said no. Yes. I think I think
1: yeah. I think... Well, it's an alternate timeline. <laughs> I, to me, it's just a fuck up. We need that diagram of infinite regression again. Just to I, sort of I need Doc <laughs> Brown to pull out his fucking chalkboard. We need Doctor Hasline to very slowly explain it all to us. Yeah, right.
0: Well, I mean, you know... Because you have a character whose name is Aldo in this movie. That's the inexplicable so, thing to me. That you I don't set wanna, up Aldo yeah. as the savior, then you make Caesar the savior, and then yes. you have a character called Aldo in this movie.
1: Yes. Well, I by no means think that Carl Sagan is the person writing this movie. However, <laughs> I do think that... You can explain, even if it's headcanon. You can sort of explain away those inconsistencies, which are probably just inconsistencies. With
0: but, but they're, they're huge, basic mechanics. Tom. They're
1: huge. They're basic mechanics of time of like you know alternate timelines. Right. I mean, you know, they when so when are you really
0: saying that
1: like? I'm saying that I've always thought this i'm not saying it's true uh uh-huh. it's never been a problem for me because because this movie you think like in- what
0: happens in say escape from the planet of the apes them coming back like that the person that they know that was caesar really was aldo but that
1: that just the no. mere coming back changed the timeline no i think they're going back into their own timeline and and changing it all right and that these are the... Because, you know, you, the way you've put it, it sounds one sounds like a mirror image of the other. It's like a parallel universe now. Yeah. And the parallel universe is a human says no to an ape instead of an ape saying no to the human. And whether they intended it or not, it you can pattern that around all the, you know, dichotomies in this movie. It's all about... It goes from ape to human, human to ape, back again. And now, you know, now we're back. But we're in an, we're in, we're in an, I don't know how many times I'd say this. We're in an alternate timeline and like everything is different. I, to me, and the problem is talk about that they're this. so afraid of the same things happening that they have already avoided by creating an alternate timeline. Right. That's what bothers me. Can I ask but you this too? But that's probably cause... because they're not, it's not really an alternate timeline. It's just what I've done in my head to make these movies make sense. To make them work for your, yeah. <laughs> for your own head. All right, fine.
0: To me, it's like a narrative fuck up. Yeah. Okay.
1: It's again, it's uh, you know, again, I think one of the one of the kind of one of the uh, traits of sequels that we keep bumping into is the the inability to sort of keep your story straight from movie to movie, even, and I would actually say especially when the movies are all made within a year of each other. Yeah, exactly. Because we find exactly the same problem with Halloween. It's like this should pace. be the this should be the smoothest transition between you know four and f- Halloween four and five should be like the smoothest transition and between it's not. <laughs> movies in continuity and it's the worst probably yeah. in the whole series and the same is kind of all these movies are a year apart and yet they can't get their so their story straight as as, as to what happens in the history of this fictional universe we're creating yeah they just can't do it. Maybe they just don't care, don't want to do it. I mean, we care more about those things now than I think they did in the early seventies. I think that's that might be true. It's, yeah, but, and like you said, I think
0: part, part, part of what informs that is this idea of there was no VHS, there were no, not even yeah. beta. Like we we didn't have a way to like rewatch this stuff over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, and there's there's I, I think less of a sense that. You know, well, it's interesting because this film series will, I think, more out of marketing than anything else, will eventually create the idea of a film series that you should watch these movies back to back. Um, in the way that they're released and and uh, marketed later after the movies were after you know post release. Um, but in terms of that being a story a question of story and continuity it's not i don't think it's a huge priority here yeah um but but it is interesting that that via that this is why time travel i think is so attractive to to people writing and creating franchises is that it you know it's so it it covers a multitude of sins, sins when right. it comes to um you know <laughs> inconsistencies and implausibilities all right
0: i'm curious about this though cuz i don't think we talked about it in the last episode for conquest of the planet of the apes yeah. i was if if i was going to lay a bet i was 100% sure that at some point caesar would say keep your damn dirty hands off me
1: yeah again i think that's like a that would be the jj abrams version of
0: it you know what i mean it's like <laughs> so i guess that was what i was asking you was that um Like, is it because of the movie conventions of today that I thought that for the movie back, you know, that that would happen back then?
1: What this series is really great at and what future movie series have never really picked up is that, you know, you can and they wouldn't have even called it fan service at this point. But you can have those sort of callback fan service moments, but you don't need to like drive them into the ground. Yeah. Like, we get so many of those kind of, like, parallels and allusions and callbacks to what's happened in previous movies. But they're not knocking you over the head with it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just part... It's, like, organically part of the story. Part of the story. Right. Um, We don't stop a scene for it to happen. And I think that's that's what's... I mean, there's a great example of it in here. I think when... um, when uh, Caesar goes back to the um, the city of misfit toys and um, he uh, looks at a picture of uh, a, a picture I don't know how anyone got of Cornelius right and you know he's lo- you know the same actor is looking at himself a picture of himself and saying that's my father and those kind of like they understand it on the level of in jokes you know just like throwaway. Right. moments like that but they really are throwaway moments it's not like rise of Skywalker where we have to stop the movie to do to a point piece it of fan out fan service yeah yeah to point out something from a previous movie uh, So right. yeah I think I think that you know even the Tim Burton planet of the Apes maybe that's the turning point and the and then the uh the Caesar trilogy of the 2010s they do a lot of that kind of very on the nose yeah yeah um, allusions to the planet of the apes mythology all right well here it's just i just think it's part of the storytelling like it's part mm -hmm. of the it grows out of the storytelling which might be the preferred way to do it instead
0: of like you said hitting people over the head let's uh take our first i agree with
1: everything in that statement apart from might (laughs)
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back with more Battle for the Planet of the Apes. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target. And check out the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator Tony Parham, and co host, musical performer and sound lover Derek Hansen, D Rock if You're Nasty, and I Am, discuss all things sound related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound. But as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to stay on target. Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to stay on target. That's the Sounds and Cinema podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you and we're back ladies and gentlemen Tom and I are here discussing battle for the planet of the Apes the J Lee Thompson film you love that title
1: yeah and I don't know if I can separate it from my nostalgia for the uh comic book vinyl read-along version that I owned as a child but I can just whenever I whenever I hear that title I can see the font of mm-hmm the title on the comic book. Um, so, but, it just, see, I don't know, It it's, it gets to, it's like, I like the fact that there's no, the, there. Right. Or, uh, like, it's, it's just, as it's like well, it's the two battle does, for the planet of the apes. Yeah. It suggests that, you know, actually, it's kind of accurate as well, because it feels like it's just, it's just one battle, you know? <laughs> exactly. It really is true. It is like, yeah, this, you would describe this as a battle, not a war, for sure. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> if this if this was called war for the Planet of the Apes, a later title, it would it would it would
1: maybe change my ranking. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it should be uh, you know a better, In fact, the perfect title would be Skirmish for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> although battle does suggest that skirmish there is, is a level. funny
1: word yeah it is battle does suggest there is there is some kind of competition going on here which uh, I don't get from the movie <laughs> yeah I mean I you know <laughs> I can't deny that aside from their ability to blow up the same tree multiple times uh, which is, is you know magic so good I have like 14 cameras set up on that tree <laughs> And the same zoom in they, they, and fast yeah, cut away from. They spent like half their budget on cameras. It, it really surprised me that Jay Lee Thompson, I mean, you know, he's a, he was a much older man, but he was like, yeah, I covered it. Yeah, I did, I did. I was like, you fucking never covered it. it was, you blew up a tree and then filmed it 16 times. That's not covering it.
0: <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Well, like as them. as the narrative of our story starts, we uh, come to understand that we have uh, ape sanctuary, ape village, ape.
1: They keep calling it city, but yeah. village again. I was gonna say again, it's city, not a war; but... it's a battle. It's not a city; right. it's a village. <laughs> Everything is is one smaller, and there seem to be
0: within the village there seem to be two factions, and Aldo. Oh, fucking love! Just, just having Claude Akins, Sheriff Lobo do, do you know, from
1: my childhood. Do you know what? Uh, I, I mean, Sheriff Lobo. Yes, Claude Akins. There was, a, there was a moment of acting from Aldo that I bet you love. <laughs> what? I've, I, 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 I would bet money on, on that. This was the moment that you fell in love with this movie. You're probably right it's <laughs> so um caesar and uh virgil and um macdonald's brother uh-huh. um, right. uh we'll get into that in a minute um <laughs> they they're uh, you know they're walking walking through the village Aldo comes up to them they kind of blind him with you know puns and mm-hmm. uh you know verbal trickery and he does like a full on full body double right he goes like that. And I thought I thought that that both reminds me of you and the things that you like. <laughs> I felt like, like I could see you I, I could see you actually performing that as a you know, in a piece of acting and I could see you watching that and laughing and smiling and going, I love this. You're right, boy did I. <laughs> I don't know why he just went it's like a full body spasm. <laughs> yeah. He's like he, Claude is like and that's the great thing, you know, that shows he understands how to act in those ape prosthetics. Because the big trick is always overdoing yeah. it so it looks so it normal looks... when it comes out of the ape right. mask. And so I think the idea of like doing a doing what is like a you know, a human would human actor would do as like a Sorry, human character. He's still a human actor. A human character would do as like a you know just a slight shake of the head. He does as a complete body free. Yeah, you out. have to do it. You have it. to
0: do it like uh, Jim Carrey in The Mask,
1: or Jim it's, Carrey. Yeah, in it's, anything. Like a, it's like Wiley e. Coyote. It's yeah, a exactly full-on right. Tasmanian Devil. And <laughs> I gotta say, I mean, while we're talking about performances, Claude Akins, uh, Paul Williams. There's this, so Mc- this may be Roddy McDowell's best performance. Yeah. Is that too weird to say? I know. Someone's gonna not like I said that, but it think kinda true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and that's one of the things that I gravitated to was. Was, was all the performances. The setup for the story at Ape Village to me is perfection. Uh it is confounded by the idea of like the like listen, this movie's got problems. You said you didn't yeah. like them going to back to uh, you know the city at all. I
1: like no, 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 not. not I, I I think that I I don't actually. I'll walk some of that back a little bit. Okay, but let's say ninety five percent. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Like
0: you're not completely wrong. I, I I like from a writing standpoint. I like that they at least had this idea of. Caesar wanting to know more about his history, his past, his family, his parents, that kind of thing. I don't know if they've that if that's the way it's written though. To me it felt like that's what it was and it was McDonald's motivation the one, enough. one who's pushing
1: it. McDonald's brother's the
0: one who's pushing it. But he's just like isn't he just telling him yes, I know where we can find some stuff?
1: Um yeah and again again part of the problem is like how the script was written in the first place so a, the original draft for the for the movie was all based in the the city of Misfit Toys mhm and mm. it was it was the sort of you know like the the second act of the movie really with with Caesar venturing back into the city um and you know, fighting a war against the humans, and when he gets back to his village, you know they've they've all sort of formed a new society without him and, and execute him. That was the original, wow, draft of the movie. <laughs> but as bleak you know, it, as it, ever, you well, that's it. And you know, it was like bleakness on top of bleakness because conquest was was you know similarly pessimistic. And so the the brief from on high was very specifically, we want to make a family friendly version of an apes movie. Right. And that's where the ape village came from, which is, is interesting both that, you know, it, it's exactly what keeps happening in this series. We go from a, you know, a, like a hopeless story to a, a, you know, to a story with some hope. And then we go back to a hopeless story and then we go to a story with some hope. Yeah. So it fits that pattern perfectly, but also I, I, I mean, it, it's it's very clear that everyone was all working on the same idea that they were making a kid. In fact, J. Lee Thompson says it was a kids' picture. I was told to make a kids' picture out of this. Mm. Um, but we, I mean, you know that the ambiguity, the nihilism, you know, the the uh, the political allegory and symbolism. Yeah, but, it's all it's there. All still it's there. just there. subtly woven through. In a way that the previous movies, you know, go hit a bit harder with. So, well, and the, I, I know they were trying to soften everything, but there's something about this mythology and this formula that's, that makes it impossible it to requires, completely take out the darkness. Yeah, that requires <laughs> and darkness. And it, it's a really nice, yeah. Because, you know... I suppose the idea was that it it, it feels family-friendly because the ape village is some kind of utopia. But immediately we see... Well, then, it's, it's anything but. It's, it's like on the precipice between utopia and dystopia. Right.
0: Like, very decidedly. And the conflict so that, you know, is set up so well. I like that there's a yeah. human teacher. Um, <laughs> it's a little clunky that... In terms of the exposition of it, because clearly that teacher yes. should know that the word no yeah, it's hard to believe that this has not come up that, yeah exactly that this
1: has to be explained to him uh, well it's been explained to us right I mean just as, just as when you know just as when Caesar comes into his own home with you know with his friend and says you know my wife Lisa yeah right. my son <laughs> it's, yeah it's my yeah, wife I do, my son. I yeah do, I Caesar. see them every day I'm in your day. home I see I'm them your friend every day
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's uh but that but know, regardless but... the the setup the conflict between Aldo and Caesar mm-hmm. the ideas behind it the um the the po- political ideology between the two
1: men yeah. is really good it's it's very like it's all the core dramatic conflicts of the movie are, in, are located in the village. It you know the the racial and class uh conflict between, yeah. between within ape society and also between the apes and the humans. Yes. So the whole village is actually it's like a dramatic powder keg waiting to go off. And that's how it's played throughout the movie. Correct. And that's why everything else feels like a distraction to that is because that and I'll, I'll agree You've got on this. everything you need in that. Yeah.
0: You know? I, I agree with you on that, but I, I still contend that I like the idea of the external force coming upon them. And I think they flub it a little bit. One, they, 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 they flub Caesar leaving at all, despite that, at least his, I, I like that the, I can understand him wanting to know more about his past but considering what just happened with Aldo, I don't think I'd leave. Yeah. So that yeah. that
1: to me is weak. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, as they you know, as they used to say in Enid Blyton novels, a lot of comings and goings yeah, right. that don't really make sense in this movie. It's like later on in the movies the gorillas leave because they have to leave. <laughs> right. <laughs> story, because in the story they have to leave. Right. But there's no reason we don't there's no reason is given as to why they left (laughs) um so it's got those kind of those problems but i mean i think i'm not not particularly against the idea of them venturing out to the city of misfit toys but um i think it's just the you know as, (laughs) as soon as they leave um it's very clear that you know In Planet of the Apes, we had this kind of vast exposition done over over this amazing scenery Yeah. uh, at the Fox Ranch. Here, it's just like three people walking on a beach, and they walk over a hill, and there they are.
0: Well, I do have notes. And the movie cannot disguise that. I do have notes that say (laughs) things like, it's a three-day's journey from nuclear fallout. Doesn't seem far enough to go to not experience the nuclear fallout. Right, for Ape Village. Right. Um, um You know, the the idea of this Geiger counter, like all the cameras within the Island of Misfit Toys is still working and has motion sensors and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. they are walking around in nuclear fallout with radiation. But don't worry about it. We're fine. Like they take the time to like really worry about radiation in a way that makes you think they could be nothing other than exposed for too long.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. But I mean, at least they, they, have they pay their... lip service to right, it, right? Exactly. They're like, we can't. You know, they they put a they you know they put a timestamp on mm-hmm. it. Basically, they're like, if we we don't get out by now, we'll become we'll have to wear caps for the rest of our lives. Right. Have to wear swim swimming caps for the rest of our lives, which seems to be the only problem <laughs> right. that this radiation has caused them. Well, and we get but,
0: uh, and right around here we see Severin or uh, Severn Darden back Dardenback as Culpe. He's now our main bad guy, because I is I think you alluded or said yeah. in our uh, introductory episode they couldn't get
1: well our main bad guy. They couldn't from, get anyone. They couldn't get anyone. Right. Apart from Roddy McDowell and Natalie Trundy yeah. um, as Lisa, uh, but I mean the first the first hint of this that that you know it's definitely not the gang getting back together is um, uh, the fact that we have a character called McDonald, right? Who is both African American and physically, uh, yeah. He, well, he's another. He's a James Franciscus to to to. to to Charlton Heston right. it's the same yeah. you know he's another classic surrogate he's, he plays exactly the same role he's exactly the same person he just happens to be a different human being right um and it, it's another one of those moments where the movie's like anti-racist message comes undone when you start to put black people in the movie mm-hmm. because it's just like really the two black guys we've seen are brothers in the last two, like, between the last two movies, that they're brothers. Is it even narratively like, explained what happened to the original McDonald? No. I don't think I so. I think it just assumed that he gets swallowed up in the in the nuclear winter. Right. Uh. <laughs> that didn't happen to anyone else, including all the Some, bad guys in somehow this movie. the other ones avoided. And yeah, Culp is the same thing, except that I think, They've managed to keep the characteristics of Colt from the previous movie. Mm-hmm. He's not he doesn't suddenly become Brack, uh, Don Murray's Breck like he's, no. But what he I still did feels like, like the same character. What I really did appreciate was when they
0: discover that they have infiltrated their territory, and they're chasing after them, yeah. and all of that feels motivated for his character because of what happened in the last movie. So you could understand him wanting revenge. But what I did like a lot was like the one human character that said, you know, I don't think they're a danger to us. They, I like, we could just let them go. Yeah. I really liked that. They just like, there's, there's little touches in this movie that matter a lot to me. And that's one of them.
1: It's a good performance. Um, you know he's he's in the previous movie he's a second rung villain and he stays a second rung villain right. with all yeah. the same characteristics and that's interesting uh until it gets the part where he has to you know lead an lead army lead an army battle. right and then lead then an army of apart. no people but i, but I <laughs> of th- three three old men um but I I like the way that he first he's first appeared and you know that the quotable is from him. Mm-hmm. It's all been rather boring, hasn't yeah. it? And he's clearly he's over it. You know he's he's like right. everyone else in exactly. the city of misfit toys. It's like there's he's got and this is you know it does make narrative sense that he's suddenly energized by this external threat. Right, and that's a that's like a an archetype of this series is the sort of the defensive human. Right, you no, know? it's like it's like when there's when there's no threat against you, right from, you know, Taylor at the beginning of the movie, when there's no threat against you and your existence, you wax lyrical about how terrible the world is and how it needs to be changed. changed and, and yeah. you know, you're, you're the biggest hippie in the world. And then as soon as, you know, your humanity is threatened in any in any way, you become, you know, a militaristic Monster. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's, so that's great that they're picking up on that thread. It's just, because of the story they go on to tell, he feels very much like the leftovers. Well he is. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but like th- but they are literally the left and again that that's not that's not wrong. That's what they are. It's what they make them do, I think, towards the end of the movie that that gets kind of problematic. And also I think maybe maybe it is all comparative. Maybe it is because I am enjoying so much of what's going on in that ape village that it's a real shame that they mm-hmm. move away from it so quickly. Right. Because they establish everything so well—the core dramatic conflicts, the relationship between Caesar and his son, confusingly called Cornelius. Very, yeah, right. Um, uh, the you know these brilliant supporting characters like Aldo, Mandamus, the guy who runs the armory, mm-hmm. who is like so a full-on nihilist in the middle of this family movie. is like a full-on yeah. fucking you know, <laughs> nihilist <laughs> character. <laughs> He won't let anyone, you know, touch gun, touch guns. His whole job is to give people guns and he won't let anyone touch the guns. And then, and then he
0: <laughs> gives people guns, but no ammunition. They're like, hey, can I have some bullets, please? <laughs>
1: you know, it's like established. So I just wish we'd sort of, we just stay, you know, it, it, with the budget limitations, with the fact that everything is just so low energy and low stakes because the people in the city of Misfit Toys cannot do anything. <laughs> That's the way they're written. They're they're basically dead. They're medically dead. Yeah. (laughs) As far as I can tell. I mean, the escape from the city, and that's one of the low points of the series for me. Yeah, uh, uh, I won't disagree there. They're people who don't fight. They're too sick to fight. They fall over at the drop of a hat. I mean, what's the stakes here? They can be defeated by hoses. Hoses. I was going to say... Once again, J. Lee Thompson is underlighting it, probably to disguise a multitude of, of budget sins, sins. Right. But uh you know, but I also, you know, I like like you, I like the parallel. I like the fact that there are these two war, warring communities. Um and one is a kind of I like the mirroring in this movie. I like the fact that, you know, there's there's a mirror and a parallel to everything. Right. Um. So, well, and to me,
0: you have to have this existential or outside threat coming back, and I guess for me the 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 big sin of this movie is at the end. Well, or maybe I should save it. I don't know. But uh, save save it. Yeah, save it for the yeah. Um, but there it's. At any rate, I I just wish that because the conflict in Ape Village is set up so well, yeah, I wish the the not the resolution but but the manner in which they come together uh, felt more purposeful, as mm-hmm. opposed to just like scatter and fight. But yeah,
1: um, yeah. But we'll get there. um, We'll definitely get. But old. I mean, it's what what your enjoyment of this movie forced me to realize was like how sophisticated the drama is in Eight Village. Yeah. Because you know we we have a discussion about you know uh, disability and ableism Mm -hmm. when Caesar's son is. you know, he says, "I'm going to be malformed," and you know, there's there's every everything to do with cultural appropriation, with the humans teaching, them, right. teaching apes their own history. It, it's just, and again, really subtly done with nuance, so you almost don't notice how progressive and interesting it is. Uh, I think one of the major well, that's letdowns one of the things. There, I think
0: this movie. Um... I think it projects itself as simple, but yes. I think there are yeah, I, very much so. But yeah. there are it's for kids. But there are so many interesting ideas behind it um, yeah. that, uh, on a first viewing, you might not notice or give credence or credit
1: to, and it deserves it. It it uh, yeah, it absolutely uh, deserves it. I say one of the biggest letdowns for me, which is not surprising given that it's an early nineteen seventies movie but is surprising given how much heed we've paid to feminism in previous movies Mm. is the character of Lisa Caesar's wife. She's simply a homemaker. um, You're right. And that is it. The female apes through, you know, from, from zero onwards previously have been represented as professionals and heroines, proactive, scientific. And we get none of that from her. And it's a real shame because, you know, Natalie Trundy's back, and uh, I know. she doesn't. <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> the I, the I unsung hero in, yeah. of this series. Yeah, she'd done as many as many um, as many eight movies as Roddy McDowell, right? All all told, uh, but playing but far you, more, you know, or not far more,
0: but you know, more characters. But also,
1: also speaking to you know the idea that, that it's it's it was trying to appear simple it was trying to appear family friendly and i think we mentioned this in the in the ranking episode this is planet of the little house on the prairie yeah right but in a but you as you what you were saying about you know it it appears simple but actually it's a really interesting piece of drama i watched little house on the prairie throughout my childhood and that's exactly how i felt about it yeah right like it's the same dyn. It's exactly the same dynamic. It's like here's this cozy kind of old timey show, where and I'm like, yeah, but they all die of cholera, <laughs> and it's like, and there's an episode which is a slasher fu- sh- a slasher film in miniature, and you know the the, the prairies a scary place as well, yeah. And there there's a scene in this. I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but there's a scene with with Cornelius, uh, chasing a raccoon. Um, around the trees first of all (laughs) it's an ape swinging through a tree which we've not seen yet so I'm glad they got that in before the series was over Um, and there is there is an episode of Little House on the Prairie which is about a rabid raccoon called Jasper that's how much I remember it I remember the name of the raccoon that's impressive it was a brilliant episode I remember it because it was it was pure suspense because one of the girls was bitten by a rabid raccoon that they thought was this sort of pet raccoon they had called Jasper. And then, mm. you know, Michael Landon's about to kill this raccoon, and then at the very last minute, the raccoon does like a little movement that tells you it's Jasper, and he goes, Jasper? And for some reason, like, those two, <laughs> in that moment of this movie, those two um, pieces of fiction kind of Live in peril, it. or yeah, but live... live- but that's exactly what they were going for, like exactly that kind of right. And you know, after after he chases that raccoon down the branch, a gorilla murders him. So <laughs> it's the same level of darkness, you know that that. But it's wrapped up in a you know in a family friendly package. It doesn't mean it's any less um, chilling. And people who've, who well, saw that's that the thing to me was that what Little Louse on the Prairie as a kid they. They still remember it to this day, like it's a Michael Myers movie. Oh, right? interesting. Um, um, sorry, go ahead. No, I got. I just <laughs> that's enough. I, that's enough. Little House on the Prairie, but I just <laughs> I think, and knowing that they were going to make a TV series, I also wonder whether they're kind of piloting. I wonder whether this was a sort of pilot for for what they wanted to do with the TV with series. The series not, yeah. They went down a different route with the TV series. They went more Skarsky and Hutch. Right. But I, I, I do wonder whether they were thinking ahead to like, huh, I wonder if we could do a TV series about this. They probably should have done. They probably wouldn't have got canceled. How, how long did that series go for? 13 episodes. And that's it? Okay. Yeah. I mean, Mike, it's really good. Is it? It's like really good. But it's... Stupid 70s action, you know. It's like it's just people <laughs> punching each other for 10 minutes, you know. It's it's re- like it's one of my fondest memories of watching TV as a kid, was watching that show. But I think if they'd gone with with like you know, Tales of the Ape Village, you know, <laughs> it would have worked better as a show, interesting. Yeah, you know, it would have run as long as Little House, Little on, the House Prairie on the Prairie, one, right? like what. 50 years. I don't know. <laughs> Somewhere between 10 years and 50 years. I don't know. All I know is those kids were like 30 by, by the, time the time the show, the show ended.
0: Over. All right. Well, let's take another break and then we'll come back and we'll finish up with Battle uh, for the Planet of the Apes. Deal? Deal. All right. Right after this.
1: If you're anything like me you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee beer or wine whichever way you fall brew bar has you covered located in the heart of third avenue village in glorious downtown chula vista california which is also my neck of the woods brew bar is a coffee shop bar and eatery rolled into one delightful package tim and alex run the place and let me tell you listeners these guys know their coffee and after you've been in their company so will you they turn me on to pour over, and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas, and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. Bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. Brewbar. It's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, you might even see me.
0: And we're back once again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing Battle for the Planet of the Apes the last installment of the apes movies. All right. I want to talk about this because there's a couple of things that happen in this movie that uh, really put it over the top for me. Uh, Great. One of them is this, uh, that I think sets up the whole second half of this movie is uh, when... Uh, uh, sorry, Caesar, when he has this mm-hmm. conversation, I keep wanting to call. I him know exactly. On too. <laughs> uh, he, when he has a discussion with Lisa about uh, the nature of man and understanding and war, do you remember yeah. that scene? Yes, I do. Yeah. I mean, it's a great scene. To, uh, that was a great piece of writing to me.
1: A great piece and, of writing and. Yeah. Go, go ahead carry on no i i it's it's interesting because again the intention was to soften the character of caesar after the mm-hmm. the ending of conquest of plan of the apes we know where he is full revolutionary yeah at least up until the last 10 seconds of the movie um <laughs> right but what but i mean in the in the overall arc of caesar in the the that's movies, what i like it re- it's like it's developed, you know, it's it it reads more like development. It right. reads more like he has a revolutionary period and now He understands he's the cost of it views. though. He understands both viewpoints. Though. Right. But he's still not swayed by either. You know, he's still not afraid that's the thing, it's like you it, it kind of Not that the movie glosses over this, but the society that they're living in glosses over the fact that the humans are still basically the prisoners of of the Apes mm-hmm. prisoners with benefits, with benefits basically. with with a few rights <laughs> with a few rights and and in the course of this movie and this is why you and know, so that's such that's, that's drama, the idea behind that it is that is the revealed benevolent story right there's like a benevolent yeah. dictatorship right you know once they get locked in that Corral it's very clear you know where the power dynamic lies of course and I'm I'm gonna go out there and say you know this movie doesn't get any credit for doing political allegory, but I can't see that scene without thinking of World War Two Japanese internment.
0: Well, not I humans, also was equating it to... Uh, concentration camps? No, but kids being stripped from their parents and being put in cages just in the
1: last few years. That That's something... Uh, that is why I think maybe you were more favorable seeing it for the first time in 2021, because... There's so much in that eight village that feel it. It feels like everything is on a knife edge. Yeah, I think between you're, you're, war, you're probably right about that. Yeah. Not, that's a great, and that's a great thing because that means that. But this that means movie it's speaking a, to the world we live in today, which is a good just, piece you know, of dr- just drama. Just truth about and, how society is. Right, work. exactly. Because that's a, you know we're, we're exactly we this society you know america western society is exactly is right now on this precipice between utopia and dystopia it could literally flip both ways in a matter of months Mm -hmm. and that's what this is all about but it you know what's kind of interesting about it is it feels more utopian than if like every day the everyday living of it feels like we're living in a utopia but you scratch that surface even a little and everyone is at war with each other with what's going on outside, with what's going on within. Mm-hmm. It's like it's really well, And I think a I think beautifully constructed uh um central premise right,
0: and the I ideas think. the differing ideas between Caesar and Aldo, the political ramifications of those ideas, the manner in which they. wish to govern those that are not like them around them. Yeah. All feel I think I think uh, without even giving it conscious thought, I think you're right in the sense that I could I could equate all of that to what we're dealing with today. And in that way, it became like a political allegory for me. That was that resonated so much. uh, In a way that was both deeply entertaining and mm. and, uh, and and forces you to be reflective.
1: And my theory is that you know the the previous movies maybe maybe speak better to their own times than this one mm. but because they work so hard in this movie to get the characterizations right to, ha- to for it to have an authentic emotional center that The truth kind of echoes from that, not the other way around. Right. Um, Actually, even in that documentary I've been talking about, Ricardo Maltobon says much the same thing. He says that, you know, that the the characters, the reason these movies last is because the characters feel real. Mm -hmm. And nowhere is that more true than this movie. Well,
0: and there's one singular moment that I've been waiting to talk about, Mm -hmm. and it's the moment when his son dies.
1: No, I don't wanna talk about it. Because it is it's so good. Yeah. And I have a son. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> No, really, I, I, it. I, 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 te- I teared up it's the first time I've teared up watching it and it's no coincidence. It's the first time I've watched it since, since I Since you became uh, a father. Since I became a father. It's just I mean, you know, it's just great acting, it's well written. But it's, it's also the ro- like to me, it was one of the and and like
0: none of these movies are poorly directed. But No. I noticed a care in that one particular scene that really stuck out to me. The yeah. the the choices that J. Lee Thompson makes
1: mm-hmm.
0: during that scene. Uh, for those that don't know What's his son's name?
1: Cornelius. Oh, that's right. Cornelius. Fucking. <laughs> because <laughs> why use another name? God. We're all familiar with that yeah. one. <laughs> Cornelius
0: is spying, but not. He, he... He's being a He's kid. He's just being a kid.
1: Exactly. He was chasing a raccoon. Right. He stumbled upon. So the he eights. stumbles
0: upon the a military, the military coup. coup being talked about, and he does it uh you know the curiosity of a child brings him up into a tree and mm. aldo sees this and essentially kind of shakes him off and he well he cuts
1: down the tree or that's with a right machete. that's right the branch so that's murder yeah <laughs> he knew what was going to happen Ugh.
0: so and cornelius falls and he doesn't die straight away but he hits the ground yeah, the air is sucked out of not the room, but the b- where they are, and yeah. the camera is above these bushes and doesn't pan down; it moves down, mm-hmm. and then it moves yeah. to the right to a, a a a space between two sets of bushes, and Aldo mm-hmm. tells the gorillas to get out, and then he runs through that space past the camera. And then there's yeah. the child lying on the ground. It's uh-huh. yeah, heartbreaking. It's, it's so
1: beautifully shot. It breaks my heart quite genuinely. Yeah, yeah. And every, I, I mean, it's powerful acting. the The, the scene when mm-hmm. he actually, you know, later on dies with his mother and father, and sees us by his bedside. It's powerful acting from Roddy McDowell, mm-hmm. but. You also have to add in that he's doing that through eight makeup, exactly, Which, you know, makes it doubly impressive. But it, it would be impressive um, regardless. But what keeps it back from being, you know, just wallowing in mawkish sentimentality is what it means on a bigger scale. Right. Because, and this is where I think, again, the drama of this movie is so well constructed is they've taken something which is really just a footnote in the original movie, which is that the scriptures say ape shall never kill mm-hmm. ape. It's the law, and... Tom. It's the law. Right. It is, yeah. It's. But no, In, in the ori- what I mean is in the original movie, it's not made much of. Yeah, right, 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 but right. But right, here, right. it's the same, along with, you know, no. Um. I guess the last two movies have been no.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, this is the sense cent- so basically you you're building you're doing what all good sequels do which is you're building on on an a latent idea from a previous movie and you you make that the center of your story and with ape shall never kill ape they do that really well because that's what changes things in their society it's like what happens when ape does inevitably kill ape <laughs> yeah um and uh, it's um it's the ramifications of it uh, are really well teased out. Yeah. Because you know it's a significant moment both emotionally and in the overall story. It's Yeah, it's connected to both. And none <laughs> and none of this has anything to do with the school bus exactly. And the old, right. old Chevy that is coming towards But the of- <laughs> I
0: still contend that what's interesting is because it's not until the battle's over that we have the chant of ape killed ape, Ape killed ape, Ape killed ape, yeah. you know. And yeah. that's what I liked about this movie. Now I wish that they they absolutely I wish they handled it better because yes, the humans come, the misfit the misfit toys come, and there is a battle for the planet of the Apes such as it is.
1: Constrained, but by- well, let's talk about. Can we talk about that? Yeah, battle?
0: please, please. Okay, so anything you say,
1: you're gonna be right about.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm
1: not. I'm not just here to do it down. Here's okay. I'll 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 preface this with what I think is great. All right, and what I think really works is what we're doing is we're mirroring beneath the Planet of the Apes here, mm-hmm. so the the humans are attacking the ape city in beneath the planet of the apes it was the apes attacking the human right. city and we're going from underground to, to overground yeah. if previously it was overground so we're doing like a, we're, we're, it's a classic inversion which works really well in the in the big scheme of the series it's a really nice And is this inversion. the
0: first sequel inversion? No well, well, I mean I guess we've done it before in in this series but but every time we bring this up, we're talking about how this, yeah. this series invented all the language we're talking about for
1: this podcast, which is so amazing to me. Well, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to go back farther in time and, and solve see it. That. Yeah. See, you get some, you know, do some deeper research. But for now, let's say provisionally, this is the earliest we've seen so great. of that. <laughs> um, but you, they're doing that. And, and now the apes are... Uh, They—they're the ones who have excused the pun guerrilla tactics. Mm-hmm. Guerrilla, G-U-E-R-E. In the same way, the humans had their gorilla you don't tactics.
0: You have to condescend to me. I know what guerrilla you were talking about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is an audio format, Mike. I can't spell out the word guerrilla as I say it. Uh, <laughs> there's got to be some. There's got to be some concession <laughs> to that. Um, but. You know, oh, but I mean, it's been said many times that you know the budget limitations, the inability to show an advancing military force, the fact that they made it trench warfare, which just underlines how sure underwhelming it all is. It's a school bus and a couple of cars. Well, and the way it's shot, there people are, moments are walking like, faster than the vehicles, yeah. but like uh, walking alongside the vehicles and walking faster. I have notes like, um, "Why are all
0: the apes carrying furniture?" And then I and then I realize, oh, they're building a barricade. Wouldn't you have done that beforehand?
1: It's just, uh, I, I've yes, but it, it's, it looks like. Tell you what, it reminds me of Mad Max on its original budget. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you know, you know what? It's do you know what depresses me the most? there's uh, like I'm almost all, afraid to ask it takes them I don't know what the relative timelines are between a village and the human city but it looks like it takes them an entire night to get through the door first of all right just to get out the door um they have their apocalyptic convoy which is led by a school bus <laughs> and in the background you can see one of the one of the very old men as well. We, they, these, this, they're not only sick, they're old. right? They're like old geriatrics. Yeah, it army. could have been
0: called Battle Against the Senior Citizens on the Planet of yes. the Apes.
1: Battle for, you know, the Battle for Florida, basically, is what it is. Um, <laughs> Battle for tennis ball laden walkers. <laughs> and there's someone fixing a car engine in the background. <laughs> and... When I see that, I don't know whether that was meant to be in the movie or not, and that's a problem. <laughs> that works just as well as an, you know, an outtake, as it does a representation of this, this World. group as a right. military force. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, I mean, it's completely laughable all the way through. They, <laughs> they, at one point, they even try and like. They even try to compensate for it in the script by saying, they're creating a smokescreen. Yeah. <laughs> we all know why they're creating a smokescreen. So that we, so we you don't can't see we what's We can't behind see it. what's going on <laughs> as the audience. And also, why are all these classic models of cars and buses? Because they all come out of an advanced future society. <laughs> you wanted the flying cars? Well no, but no but in my head canon they had to break into a classic car museum to right. like, get, to like get these because all their vehicles would have been like 20, 20 years like 50 years past this. Right. Uh but so it's
0: problematic. Well um, to say the least, yes. I mean To say the least. And we've given but, plenty
1: of play about the the tree that blows up 12 times. Yeah. But I will say, I will say, and this is another great piece of inversion. The um, the Culp Caesar reunion. I'm really glad that they that Culp gets all the way into the village, right. so he can be face to face with Caesar. Because, well, first of all, you know, he <laughs> first of all the face to face in the previous movie was not him. So I'm glad yeah, that he exactly. gets a moment with Caesar. Like he's never had a moment with Caesar. But it's also it's a it's a given that this is an inversion of Beneath the Planet of the Apes, this is Zaius this is a reversal of Zaeus meets Taylor. Taylor. It's the same, exactly the same dynamic, and it's a beautiful moment. Um And I like that he gets his uh call I suppose. <laughs> well played. But again But again, <laughs> so they so this it's interesting like once you break this movie used to feel like this movie is upbeat and part, you know like is is pacifistic but when you actually break it down there's some real ambiguity there because the humans right the surviving humans are released by Caesar. and the you know and and he says to Virgil no let them go and then the gorillas get them mm-hmm and you're not quite sure how you're supposed to feel about that. Like, we know the gorillas are also the villains, but so who's the bigger villain? And I think that's deliberate. Yeah, no, I do too. I feel like this movie's like, I feel like in whatever measure of of making these Like movies, I said... Ambiguity is still the watchword yeah. of how they're writing and directing. Like I
0: said movies. earlier, if I felt like we were seeing any people in that bus, the gorillas shooting into that <laughs> bus would be horrifying like it's
1: incredibly but, violent but i mean you know what's once once it's all over and done with you know once the the school bus has has uh, departed um <laughs> that's how you know a war is over <laughs> yeah right <laughs> when the school bus <laughs> when the leaves. school bus leaves the battle is done <laughs> um we get we i mean we get into the thick of of the cha- you know, the chamber drama in the village. Yes. Like all that's left is everything in the movie. Right. It's is is <laughs> the important shit in the movie, right. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe maybe they would you know, they just didn't want to write a scene where Culp goes back to the city and it's like, oh, okay, Well and I, I said I'd give reference to, to it because I guess we go back to sitting in bunk beds yeah. all our lives. And well don't we
0: have <laughs> don't we have before the battle starts, don't we have a scene where like all the humans are already
1: locked up, correct? Yeah, so they get locked in the corral by the gorillas before the gorillas inexplicably leave.
0: And I, yeah, I guess I wish, what I wanted from this movie in that moment, because it's kind of like, oh no, they're here, they're here, we have to fight. And I just wanted one thing between like Aldo and Caesar that says, we have to come together right now, this isn't finished but we have to come together right now I, I just wish there could have been a, something a little more to that
1: I think if it's I mean it's an interesting thing because you know one of the more accidental themes of this series is ape racism right. <laughs> it's the most racist society you'll ever see Um, And I just, and I kind of like, again, given where we are now in 2021, I'm not feeling in a forgiving mood for for people who staged a military coup in society. Like, I feel like that ship has sailed. Right. And I kind of feel like when I watch this, I'm like, nah, fuck them. (laughs) Fuck those gorillas. They made their bed. Wait, the gorillas uh, or the humans? Well, it's really just Aldo, isn't it? It's Aldo's, like, it's Aldo's leadership. Yeah. And the, the 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 film does make that distinction that it because because once the gorillas see that like <laughs> they killed Caesar's kid they're like oh okay maybe need to take fuck. a backseat here let's now, uh well, you know let not all of us knew about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly well we all saw it but yeah sure we'll <laughs> we'll feign like we didn't it's time to back off um and. It's interesting because you know uh, there are there are pluses to the theatricality of this movie, but there are also minuses, which is that you know it does sometimes feel like a stage play in a in a not good way. You think? Like when they reenact Cornelius's tree death, it's like again we're going back to the same tree, right. the same idea. We filmed it already. We've already got the setup. Yeah. I mean, symbolically, it works perfectly. Uh, But I don't know if this is the fudging you're talking about, but. And it's a fudging they do in a lot of movies where they just. They're not brave enough to. um, To make the lead character commit an act of violence, but it does look more like self defense in the way that Aldo is killed. Yeah. So they get around Ape not having to kill Ape in revenge yeah (laughs) i don't know i don't know what the scriptures say about apes killing apes in revenge for killing other apes. maybe that's maybe that's the asterisk as punishment but they get around that by having it look like aldo you know tried to kill caesar and caesar defended himself and it's a little bit of a fudge but they've got a lot of dramatic work to do to sort of
0: to wrap (laughs) up this story
1: yeah uh, but then the great you know, the great moment is once this is done, you're like, Great, everything's resolved. The humans are like, uh we're still We're still locked in concentration up and we camps. need <laughs> you know, like we need some more rights. The fuck are you guys doing? And I love that they use this uh well I think it's the revelation that Aldo killed Cornelius, but uh McDonald's brother says, I guess they just joined the human race. Yeah. And I think it's like the this series cannot resist one more sly dig at humanity. Yeah. Even in a scene which is just apes killing other apes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's also, I mean, you know, there was also a little bit of human privilege in the way that, like, if you think about it over the course of the series, the humans are demanding rights that the apes never had. Never, ever were given. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there is a little bit of, like, we're entitled to this. Yeah. Um, well, it's dressed it, you know, up scope... in
0: it's dressed up in a- any living creature deserves this, but that's right. But the, it's undercut. That's a very human concept. It's a very it? human concept, but it's undercut by all the racism implicit throughout this entire series.
1: Right. So. Yeah, it would have been. I mean, this. I think this is pie in the sky thinking, but it would have been interesting to draw a parallel to how the chimpanzees treat the gorillas, to how the the apes treat the yeah. humans. You can infer that, but ape racism is largely unspoken in this series. <laughs> right, right. Everyone's just fine with it. <laughs> yeah. But one, one character somehow we've skipped over is uh, Virgil the orangutan. I know. I think he's one of the best characters in the whole series. He really is. Certainly one of the best performances. Paul he's our, so... he's our science guy, isn't he? He's our Q in yeah, this. Yeah, he He's like... He's there with the time travel theory. He's got all the human history. I don't know how he learned to speak and become a super intelligent being in 10 years. In 10 years. years. That's... That's where the that is one, gets one hell out. of a school they've got. <laughs> you could transfer all your credits from that right. school <laughs> to the next place, couldn't you? <laughs> uh, you know, he, th- he's got to a Virgil teaches the teachers. Yeah, exactly. And he's funny, and he's, he's like, long-winded, you know, Shades of Armando. So charming. Yeah. Uh, He's very, very very charming. And, you know, and then he's an ape of action as well right. later on. He's the one who he gets the drop on. He, you know, he would have gunned down that school bus if, uh, if Caesar had let him. <laughs> um, and I think in a movie like this where, you know, emotional, the emotional center of the of the movie matters more than perhaps it's done in previous movies. I think it's, mm-hmm. you need characters like that. You need a solid supporting cast. And this movie has it. this movie, it. movie definitely yeah, delivers that. it absolutely that. has that. But individualized characters as well. And it never fails to amaze me in this series that they keep coming up with original distinctive characters every time. In each sequel. I and mean, yes, they're all based on, which is not, they're all based on an archetype. Right. But, and you don't cause, see cause that like a,
0: specifically, you
1: don't see that in sequels. No. Mm. Yeah. Well, we know for a fact. We oh, know. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, because he's a foreshadow of Dr. Zaeus, you know, mm-hmm. he's he's he is the Dr. Zeus in his in his society. But in this alternate timeline, Dr. Zaeus has gone down the science path and theology doesn't really matter to him. He I mean, he's a literalist, you know, he is he believes in time travel. He believes in, uh, you know, uh, history and theology never really come, come again. True, theology has gone yeah. again, except in the in the framing narrative, where it's very important. Yes, true. <laughs> so once again, the series cannot <laughs> decide, cannot bridge that gap right. between science, science and, and religion. religion. Oh,
0: that's interesting. Well, but I do want to talk just before we finish here, because uh, we go we we're, this movie's bookended by The Lawgiver and John Huston. <laughs> yes. It's a lot to say here, isn't oh, it? Oh, my gosh. I have never more thoroughly enjoyed, like, see- seeing a, a statue of Caesar crying
1: as... How many times have you seen this? <laughs> but, you say it as if you've had a lot of experience of this very thing. Well, but but it's up, like,
0: because that... It's ironized Cody. It's the crying Indian,
1: yeah, influence true.
0: of a commercial that I came out. I think came out in like seventy one.
1: I uh, you know, I hadn't put that together, but you're absolutely right. So
0: they're directly referencing it, and it's just like to me, it's like the chef's kiss ending to this movie, where they're like, "Yeah, let's let us let us dig into that." Everybody loves
1: that. It's it's single both, tier. It's both. What's great about that is you're absolutely right that is the that is the most contemporary reference that they're pulling yeah. but it's also more and less than that within the context of the series you can't help but think of the 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 bleeding eyes right the blood beneath. tears of the of the um why am I the whatever he's called at that point in that timeline of the statue in beneath the planet of the apes that tumbles which is one of the darkest images of the series right. and of course you know i mean it's a very it's also a very catholic right. piece of imagery you know the and jesus wept and the the you know the that image of sculpt of religious sculptures with tears mm-hmm. and it being you know the blood and the water of jesus all that is mixed is all that's mixed in there but um you know it again and this again was definitely deliberate because people who made the movie talked about it they, they wanted to throw the audience once more. You know, they'd lured them into believing that they've made a family-friendly movie, but they wanted to end on a on a note of ambiguity that speaks more to the series as a whole. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, what what does that mean? Is Caesar crying because he failed or because he succeeded? And why is that statue crying? Well, stay and... tuned for my <laughs> pitch a <of> sequel. <laughs> but, but besides, I mean... This is, but this is also where, like, the 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 present day of the of the movie. But it feels is very released. Christ the Redeemer. You yeah, know,
0: it's got that. But
1: it also brings the contemporary world into focus because you you have a you you have um, humans. We basically again, it's another fake out. You think that he's well, you think he's addressing the audience, but he's actually addressing an audience of human and ape children in a mixed school yeah, in the future right. so we're immediately thinking about like desegregating schools um of course you know the humans are african american mm-hmm. because that's what this series does but they're also trying to make a point of like we're in the early 70s we don't know where the future's going You know, the ambiguity that this series is ending on is also about the ambiguity of our own time. It's like, can we bridge our own racial and class conflicts in our own society? So they bring that back into focus in a big... Which I think is like, what? You know, it's like a real pullback. Like, whoa. I mean, it's... There's cause for optimism, but it's also like... You know, the little girl asked the question, you know, lawgiver, who knows about the future? (laughs) Right. Which... You know, if you wanted a tagline for this series, boy, got is that it? Right it. There. Yeah, this series does not know what's going to happen about the future, and it could, you know, it could really, it could go either way. Um, but yeah, I mean, Good I guess shit. You, you could all, you could also, <laughs> you know, you you could sort of say that it's a little bit out of character, a little bit mawkish, uh, even for this movie, but um. I think it's there for the sake of ambivalence, mm. but yeah, absolutely capitalising on the currency of that ionized coding oh, commercial so. for sure, and they're heading into television, so. right? Yeah, and then the music at the you yeah know, the, credit the credits, check is w- Tom, come the, on. Well, there's not really again, again, there's nothing to check, but <laughs> <laughs> I the credits come over the. Um, The image, rather than before they fade to black, which I think is the first time that's happened in the series. That sounds right to me, yeah. Yeah. Um, So there's a sense, you know, it's like preserving, you know, over an image of ambivalence. There's sentimental notes in that final piece of music, but it's also a very dark piece of underscoring Mm -hmm. that sounds a lot like the original theme. So... Musically, you're getting everything that that ending is giving you, but reinforced, or you know, with audio. Interesting. So it's a very well made. It's a very well made movie, even in the parts of the movie that um,
0: I found it to be a very th-
1: couldn't avoid being right. problematic. I th-
0: I I what I liked about it so it's much. It's still well made. I found it to be a very thoughtful movie.
1: It's an extremely thoughtful yeah. movie, and it. I guess with the brief make a kid's picture it doesn't need to be mm-hmm. i mean you know we know how that's gone in the you know <coughs> phantom menace but um we know how that's gone when people have tried to kidify their franchises and that's what they were trying to do here and yet they, come they out can't with help themselves can just, they like they can't help themselves as <laughs> this like you had to go with the crying caesar at the yeah. end did you couldn't have the little girl walk running down the hill like <laughs> in like little, a little house, house on the prairie, right? could
0: you? All right. <laughs> Anything left for you?
1: No, no. Me it's, either. Uh, uh, I think we <laughs> it's just about as long as the movie. Yeah, probably. Exactly. we discussed this. And
0: all right, well, ladies and gentlemen, if you have something to add for Battle for the Planet of the Apes, please let us know. Find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards, you'll be hearing our pitches next. Say goodbye, Tom. The school buzz will be operational, Governor.
1: (laughs) Couldn't resist. I don't think it was. (laughs) I think school buzzes move faster than that. Ideally even in even when it's transporting children <laughs> all right everyone take care